As of today, August 18th, Bitcoin has a little over $221 billion market cap, leading all cryptocurrencies. In addition, its market cap is larger than the likes of Bank of America, Pepsi, Coca-Cola, and Netflix. It is currently ranked as the 35th most valuable currency by market cap ahead of the Qatar Rial, the Colombian Peso, and the Mar Moroccan Durham. Some are predicting it can overtake gold by the end of the decade, which currently has a $9 trillion market cap. This would be 40 times bigger than Bitcoin currently is today. So today we're going to discuss Bitcoin, the blockchain, and why it's such a revolutionary idea. This is the Good Samaritan Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Jackson. Let's get into it. Welcome to today's episode. I wanted to start off today's episode of kind of why I like Bitcoin and why the blockchain. I actually was uh, at a lunch with a, a friend and the topic of Bitcoin got brought up and uh, this particular individual threw his hands up in frustration and just said, I don't understand it. And almost um, not only did he kind of say that he didn't understand it, but almost like he felt like it was uncomfortable to discuss uh, the topic. Um, and that, that kind of led me to this episode. Uh, I actually was already uh, actually going to recommend a book as well. It's actually called The uh, Blockchain Revolution. Uh, let me find the author for you all. It is uh, The Blockchain Revolution by Don Tapscott and Alex Tapscott. Uh, it's a really good book. I just happened to be reading it ahead. So it was uh, been very enlightening. Uh, but uh, to kind of go to the, to the conversation I was having with uh, one of my friends uh, and what the broader um, the broader concept I'd like to explore initially before we start talking about Bitcoin is just, you know, as we get older and into our lives, we kind of forget to keep learning and keep, you know, feeding our mind. It was actually the reason why I picked up the book, because it was a foreign topic for me. I had learned a little bit about Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies like on the fringe of the information, but haven't really, you know, dived right into the heart of <clears throat> the beating heart of the cryptocurrency world and people who uh, really know a lot about it and what it, it potentially means as well as, as blockchain technology. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I wanted to kind of start this episode to talk about, you know, you know, really don't like, you know, these changes uh, or new things or new concepts. They make us nervous. You know, things happen, you know, every generation because for some reason, uh, whenever we leave traditional schooling, we kind of reduce our level of, of learning. Um, and the more majority of people kind of stop learning and I'm kind of realizing like, oh, okay, you know, when I was young, when you're young, everything is new. And when everything is new, you kind of have a larger appetite to learn because you kind of don't know anything. But as we get older, it's almost like we kind of forget that whole concept. We get we get settled in our lives. We kind of feel like we know what we know, and what we've learned in our lives so far. We apply those rules, uh, but we kind of forget that the, the world or society or our fellow uh, fellow man in technology and science and uh, different understandings continue to uh, continue to grow and continue to, um, you know, traverse new horizons and new information is absorbed. And sometimes we just kind of get bogged down in our own day to day that we, for you know, we kind of get stuck standing still. Uh, so I wanted to, you know, also 
throw as a reminder from uh, Everyday Millionaires, one of the, the things in there is that, you know, millionaires constantly read to absorb new information. Uh, I think I talked about, I saw a good documentary on Bill Gates on Netflix, uh, but one of the things Bill Gates has done since he was a kid, which is kind of part of who he is, like he's a, an avid reader, just absorbs, you know, almost superhumanly amounts of, <laughs> of information uh, on a daily basis. So that that's kind of want to start is, you know, keep learning. Uh, don't be afraid of new topics. And if a new topic uh, is something you don't understand or is, is, is foreign to you, First thing you can do is go on the internet uh, like I did. And all I did was I, I Googled the top books on uh, blockchain and Bitcoin. Uh, I found one that I thought I would like. Uh, I started to read it. And then, you know, after that, my mind was kind of uh, kind of blown from there. So, uh, you know, first first concept, the first thing I'd like you guys to get from today's episode is uh, never be afraid to keep learning. Uh, and don't be afraid to take on new topics or new ideas uh, because there are always going to be new topics and new ideas uh, as we as you continue to age because the only, the, the world doesn't stop spinning. Uh, people don't stop learning and people don't stop discovering. Uh, so also continue to to continue to discover with them. Uh, so that's how I'll start. Uh, what I'll actually go into now is, you know, what what is Bitcoin? So. Uh, Bitcoin is a, a digital currency that, you know, enables pretty much instant payments to anyone and anywhere in the world. Uh, it utilizes a peer to peer technology uh, to operate with no central authority, um, you know, pretty much as transactions are carried out collectively uh, by the network. Um this network or this kind of idea is actually known as blockchain specifically that it's you know decentralized there's this a uh, ledger but i'll get into that that shortly uh but you know bitcoin is innovative it's uh i want to say it's fairly new technology it's only i think it came out in 2009 um pseudonymously uh by satoshi nakamoto it's actually a funny story uh, with Bitcoin on January 3rd, 2009, uh, like I said, about 10 years ago, um, to this day, the creator or creators uh, remains unknown. Uh, we don't know who invented Bitcoin uh, or really the, the blockchain technology. There was a, a scientific paper that was published uh, under the name of Satoshi and kind of this is this is where we are. Um. But apparently uh, what has been created appears to have the opportunity uh, to really revolutionize the world uh, in the same way as the Internet did uh, back in the early 90s. Uh, it's kind of like the the next the next, I could say, horizon uh, it, for the Internet uh, as we connect with with one another. So there's much to discuss on this topic of, of crypto and Bitcoin. Uh, so we will just we'll start with the basics for the this first episode. Uh, the first key, you know, property is that Bitcoin, you know, the first thing you kind of need to understand is that Bitcoin has a limited supply. The way it was uh, designed by Satoshi is that it has a a limited supply. So there will only ever be, I believe, 21 million Bitcoins created. Uh, this is what makes the currency deflationary. 
which is what makes Bitcoin very similar to gold. And that uh, the reason why we want to back our money with it is that, you know, there's a limited supply of gold on, on planet Earth, which gives it the characteristic characteristics of being uh, deflationary, which means it holds its purchasing power a lot better. A lot of the the things that you see happening in our economy today uh, actually revolve around, you know, our in a, is the inflation that we're seeing with the uh, with the U.S. dollar, which I believe is down 98 percent of its original value, uh, which is really nothing to laugh about, which is really kind of crazy when you think about it and why you, you've heard or seen uh, the the rise of Bitcoin, for example, in the last 10 years or with the fears in the economy right now with wealthy people like Warren Buffett uh, buying more gold. Uh, because they're trying to protect the the value of the quote unquote currency they have, or at least uh, buy stronger assets that can hold their purchasing power. Uh, because some people fear there's a, a looming crash coming uh, in the economy. Uh, but that's those are that's that's what's meant by deflationary. Uh, you want to kind of hedge against the U.S. dollar uh, because our ability to print or create new money uh, from the central bank. Uh, and pumping into the economy um, creates inflation. Uh, and you can have runaway uh, inflation. Uh, but I have some really cool examples to kind of discuss today uh, because there are a number of countries who have already felt this much more blunt, bluntly, uh, which is why Bitcoin is um, becoming a becoming more popular. Uh, people are starting to look to it. There are actually a couple of stories uh, we'll talk about today as examples uh, to as as people try to uh, make sense of what's happening with their currencies uh, and why their their purchasing power uh, is pretty much disappearing, um, but we'll discuss that as well. It usually happens when you print money. Uh, definitely check out uh, banking in your money. Uh, the previous show before this podcast uh, to learn a little bit more about that. So before I actually move on, there's actually a really interesting example about this inflation that we're seeing with uh, fiat currencies uh, like the U.S. dollar. Uh, actually, I think the the last week's news, there was a uh, article about the Beirut explosion in Lebanon, uh, even though I think the explosion isn't really what the um, overall arching theme you want to take away uh, from that explosion. But really what's happening in Lebanon uh, is a level of hyperinflation uh, that they haven't seen before, which uh, is brought about. I won't say it's brought about, but it really provides the the case for uh, cryptocurrencies. Um, as we look at uh, Lebanon, for example, like their their food prices soared two hundred percent in one month. Um, so if you were if you were paying what four hundred dollars on groceries a month? Uh, last month, this month you're gonna pay what's that? Uh, Twelve hundred dollars a month going forward, and that's the fear about inflation and the issue with uh, printing money. Essentially, a lot of these economies around the world experience this in a much uh, more um stringent way than we do in America. And unfortunately, sometimes I wonder if we're uh, not paying attention enough uh, to people in other countries and governments in other countries. Uh, but it that I mean, that's a pretty huge deal. It's in a month. Can you imagine going from, you know, you feeding your family 
$400 a month in America and now you need $1,200 to buy the same amount of food. That That's, that's what is the issue with inflation and why uh, this deal of and people get so upset here in our country because we, we, we are engaging in these, the same behavior pretty much um, where we're printing money to you know stabilize our economy uh, but that the only way to to the the consequence of printing money is always going to be inflation. So I'm actually going to read the exact quote from Steve Hankey, the professor of applied economics at the John Hopkins University uh, and another inflation expert, uh, his colleague Nicholas Cruz. Uh, but what he he mentions is direct quote. Uh, governments start running larger and larger fiscal deficits and call on the central bank to fund those deficits because tax and bond financing avenues are inadequate. In hyperinflations, central banks are required to virtually fund the government's entire fiscal operations. Uh, and they go on to talk about uh, Lebanon's worst crisis since 1975 to 1990. Uh, but it's very it's, it's uh, very similar to what we do uh, in our country. Fortunately, we aren't in the uh, in the space where we're uh, funding the. Uh, entire fiscal operation of the government, but that's been the the outcry uh, over the years because we we tend to keep going towards that way, um, which is why we we kind of see a, a controlled uh, inflationary uh, target that we usually see from our, our federal chairman or who's ever in that in that post as we try to manipulate it in the way that we best see fit, um, but. You know, it's a good example. It's a re, it's a it's one of the examples uh, that you hear people from the Bitcoin or the cryptocurrency space use, uh, because we aren't uh, as a country we aren't doing anything that mu that's much different. Uh, our consequences aren't as as bad. It is at least not at least not as of yet, uh, but it, it's pretty significant. I, I mean, Lebanon um, annual inflation rate is four hundred sixty two percent year over year. So it's, I mean, you're talking about people living in the country and now their money is almost worth nothing. Um, but they still have, they're still trying to live day to day. They're still trying to, you know, buy what they need. Uh, but inflation is essentially killing, um, their, 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 their ability to live, uh, because now the money that they're making buys way less than it did even just a month ago or a year ago. Uh, so that's uh, that's a lot of the the benefits that people see with with cryptocurrencies. And you'll see ex uh, examples like these used around uh, the world as well. So back to Bitcoin. So if you kind of think about when Satoshi Nakamoto released this paper, it's uh, 2009, the 08 crash. We we're in the middle of the 08 uh, right off the 08 crash. We're uh, trying to um, ease this crisis which ultimately leads to quantitative easing or the printing of money, as I just mentioned, um, which, you know, federal government injected money into the economy uh, that's, you know, provides stimulus to expand the economic activity. Very similar to what you're hearing now with uh, the pandemic uh, and stimulus checks uh, and money being pumped into the economy to help buoy uh, a, a crash. So it's not as uh, not as, as bad as we fear, even though we'll see if that that works or not. Uh, but in doing so, you really drive inflation, uh, which reduces the purchasing power of the U.S. dollar, uh, 
uh, or other fiat currencies around the world, uh, Bitcoin was designed to hold its value much more effectively uh, because it has a, a limit to how much it how much exists. Uh, so, as you know, or if you don't know, uh, over the last hundred years, the U.S. dollar has continued to become more and more devalued. I think I mentioned before already that it's uh, down ninety eight percent in its value. Um, you know, so a, a question people always kind of come around on this is like, hey, Jason, if it's if it's limited, if there are only 21 million bitcoins, uh, how can everyone use it if it were to be adopted by the masses? So one of the the big hurdles for Bitcoin right now is it's it's actually still an early adopter stage. Um, the masses, as I mentioned, don't really understand Bitcoin, uh, but hopefully this podcast and there are other uh, plenty of other uh, information outlets will kind of help ease some of that uh, ease some of that. Uh, anxiety about you know not knowing what Bitcoin is, uh, but back to the initial question: If it's limited, you know how how can everyone get some of it if it's limited? So a Bitcoin is actually divisible all the way down to the eighth decimal place, so you don't have to have a whole uh, Bitcoin. I, similar to the way that dollars has has coins and you know fifty cents and twenty five cents, you know dollars, uh, not the the smallest. Uh, piece of of money that you can use. So Bitcoin actually goes down to the eighth decimal place. So you you never really need to worry about owning an entire Bitcoin. I think in right now as we speak, I believe Bitcoin was at eleven thousand nine hundred. It might have went back up. It actually recently just broke twelve thousand, uh, which is why there's a lot of fervor around Bitcoin right now. Um, but the uh, a one Bitcoin is is worth about um, you know almost twelve thousand uh, dollars right now. Uh, I, <laughs> there are a lot of people out there, believe it or not, the even earlier adopters to Bitcoin uh, who bought Bitcoin when it was one hundred and fifty dollars. If you've heard anything about Bitcoin millionaires, uh, it's because they were able to, you know, purchase uh, Bitcoin, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago and they have seen a, a historic run of it. And it's still not uh, adopted in any mass way yet. Uh, but the smallest unit of a Bitcoin is known as a Satoshi, hence the name Satoshi Nakamoto. Uh, so it's named directly after the quote unquote creator or creators, whoever that might be. Uh, and it is it is one hundred millionth of a single Bitcoin or a simple Bitcoin is equal to a hundred million Satoshi. Uh, so there, there's not really a, a issue there. Uh, Bitcoin is praised by its early adopters because of the blockchain technology that it's built on. Uh, so let's kind of, you know, dive into blockchain right now. Uh, and before I go to blockchain right now, Bitcoin is very speculative. When I when I mean by it hasn't been adopted by the masses yet is that we don't use it to pay yet. Um, but if you're in this space and paying attention to this space, um, very new things on the horizon, even as early as a few months ago in this year. Um, there are Bitcoin lenders uh, that use a over collateralized style of lending where uh, whereas with a traditional bank, you might deposit your money <clears throat> as a depositor and you use and you're at the whims of fractional banking and you get a little, you know, 0.15 percent on your money. Like I said, I covered that in the other show uh, right now. I believe you can deposit your Bitcoin or cryptocurrency uh, with a crypto lender uh, and they actually use that money to lend and then you can actually get a higher percentage rate. So I believe a, a company called Nexo, which I have a little bit 
of money there. Uh, they give three or four percent on your investment that pays out daily. Uh, so there are a lot of things happening in this space that are changing around Bitcoin and how um, uh, Bitcoin is operating. Um, <clears throat> a lot of really cool things that are out there and what people are are building and doing with it. I actually believe there are a number of companies who are invested in creating cards uh, to help with this mass adoption on using Bitcoin as a form of payment. Um, right now, you kind of have to go out of your way to figure out who accepts Bitcoin. Um, but as you kind of you know work to bring people into the into the movement, I guess you could say uh, using cards to use Bitcoin to pay, opposed to uh, traditional credit cards that we've become so accustomed to using over the last few decades. Um, so that's kind of Bitcoin. It's built on this peer-to-peer decentralized you know bitcoin is it's peer-to-peer it's decentralized and it's uh censorship resistant uh so you know what kind of what does that mean so peer-to-peer means uh there is no more need for trusted third parties or intermediaries uh at least in the uh in the utopia of what bitcoin or blockchain eventually can become uh, as I mentioned, this is really accomplished via the prize underlying technology called blockchain, uh, which is a fully transparent worldwide ledger uh, that is maintained across a network of thousands to millions of computers uh, that records that records transactions and is available to everyone. So imagine uh, this ledger is distributed across thousands or millions of computers and everyone has a copy of the exact same ledger. Uh, so there is, you know, no need for a for intermediaries or third parties uh, to s- kind of skim, you know, money off of each transaction. It 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 makes the process of uh, doing transactions much more efficient. It makes it a lot cheaper uh, because you don't have a lot of the paperwork and the um, and the work of you know, consolidating books and making sure your books match. So right now in the current environment, for example, uh, you might buy a a home. Uh, You might get a loan from your bank to buy a home. Uh, You work with a seller who sells their house. They have a bank as well. The two banks have to work together. Apparently, there's a a whole bunch of clearing houses that money has to go through. Uh, Banking is actually not very simplistic in the way that it operates because there's a lot of consolidating of books uh, and matching information uh, because the, for example, in this particular transaction, the buyer and seller actually rely on the banks as a trusted third party or intermediary uh, to um, perform the transaction. So before I kind of delve more into that example, I'm actually going to talk a little bit more about blockchain um, because it's really revolutionary because it it's aiming to and has the ability to um, kind of at minimum assist. Uh, I think the the blockchain believers uh, really believe that I can completely get rid of the bank in that that kind of example where the the biggest issue with the internet is trust. Do I can I trust the person that I'm engaging in a transaction with? Uh, but blockchain is is made to, you know, create a trust protocol where instead of going to the bank, uh, I as a, as a buyer of a home and you as a seller of a home can interact directly, uh, which naturally is going to reduce costs 
uh, of that transaction because you don't have uh, the bank the bank being involved. But we'll we'll get there. Where it, it appears where we could be heading that way, uh, but where we might be talking a couple of decades before we get there. But that is the you know ideal scenario of a lot of people. Uh, we'll get into that more. But let's talk about uh, blockchain uh, some more so you can get an idea of uh, what that means and what that ledger actually is. Uh, so the first thing I understand about the blockchain is it utilizes cryptography and code uh, to create a trust protocol, really protect the information that's locked within it. Um, and people are able to, for the first time really ever in the history of the world, conduct transactions without the use of an intermediary or a third party or, or a middleman, as we might call it. Uh, trust is instead established by the cryptography and the use of the code. Uh, so the blockchain technology operates a little bit like this. Digital assets like money, uh, music, uh, really anything in between is currently stored in a central place. So kind of think of uh, Apple's iTunes store or Apple's app store. Uh, consumers actually go to Apple to buy, say, music from uh, your favorite artist. Uh, and then Apple takes their they take their fee for conducting that transaction. Apple, in this case, is a is a middleman. Uh, what the blockchain allows for is for Apple not to be a part of the transaction, uh, but can allow people like the a musician to communicate directly with consumers and sell their music uh, through a trusted protocol uh, in the blockchain uh, that protects uh, everyone's information. Uh, so. Back to the blockchain, before I get into that example a little more, uh, the, the information is distributed across a, a global ledger uh, using cryptography, as I mentioned. Uh, when a transaction is posted, it appears on this global ledger, uh, which exists on millions and millions of computers in the world. Um, the key thing to remember is the ledger is the same for everyone. Uh, so this creates efficiencies because on our own current system, uh, through a centralized way of conducting business, uh, banks, for example, or Apple uh, must send information back and forth to consolidate between uh, buyers and sellers to verify transactions. Uh, but with the blockchain, all of these computers see the exact same information uh, at the exact same time. Uh, so that's a, the first thing you kind of can understand how the efficiencies are created uh, with blockchain, how it uses cryptography to protect the information that travels across the network. There's also these things called miners. Uh, so miners come into play here as well uh, as they utilize large amounts of computing power uh, that when added together is significantly larger than that of Google. So the blockchain, like I said, is literally this ledger is literally being run by millions of computers in the world. So it's decentralized. Uh, so no one person, no one government, no one country, no one bank, uh, no one single entity can control the network that is blockchain because it's decentralized. It literally is running on a network of millions of computers across the world. And it's just important to note that it's you know, it's significantly larger than than that of a centralized uh, entity like Google, where we all might interact and we all uh, do all our things through Google. Uh, the blockchain actually is dispersed over a distributed network. Uh, so the way these miners work is the networks create a block of transactions every 10 minutes uh, that holds all of the tra transaction history 
that occurred the 10 minutes prior. So on the blockchain, um, the network just spits out blocks um, of transactions that happened 10 minutes ago. So it's almost noon. So at 11.50, it spit out all the transactions that are happened across the network uh, in the last 10 minutes. The miners compete to solve these really hard problems associated with each block that's created by the network. Uh, and the first to reveal the truth and to validate the block uh, is rewarded with Bitcoin, which is, I mentioned, if you're a miner, uh, which requires a lot of um, energy to to really solve a lot of these very complex problems uh, in the block to reveal the truth of the block. Uh, you're rewarded with the Bitcoin. So if you're a miner and you get rewarded with the Bitcoin, you're literally getting rewarded with twelve thousand dollars as it is, as it stands today. Uh, so if you're if you're a miner and you have the ability to invest in doing that, it's something worth looking into. I would say most people uh, aren't able to mine as maybe you could have in the early days because it requires such a significant investment, uh, but definitely worth looking into. Uh, if you have the, if you have the cash flow, I would actually point you more of a di direction of uh, setting up your own node, which I'll have to have a whole nother um, episode on sovereignty and privacy uh, that blockchain offers and why people also are, are such huge fans of it. Uh, but when in, when in the case with these miners, uh, Bitcoin, um, they, they earn a Bitcoin every time they solve a block. A block is solved every 10 minutes. Um, and this block is then attached to the block that was created prior to it, creating a blockchain. So it's literally a chain of blocks of all this validated information by miners. And each block is timestamped. Uh, this network provides a level of security that's really powerful because if one said, hey, I'm going to go hack the, the blockchain network or hack this network, uh, one would have to hack the block Hack literally hack the block and every block that preceded it, which would mean hacking the whole chain, which with Bitcoin or with the, the Bitcoin blockchain, it goes back 10 years. It's literally the history of Bitcoin. Like every single transaction that has happened with Bitcoin is on this ledger. So not only do you have to hack the block, then you have to hack every single block that precedes it in the chain. And if you were even able to ever do that, you would then need to hack all the other millions of computers in the network because they all have the exact same ledger all at the same time. And we're talking a gi I mean, a ginormous amount of computing power to hack this network, which is why it's uh, being held and which is why blockchain technology has become so popular. So you might ask Jason, like, why does that why does that matter to me? So a great example is actually the if you all remember the Equifax hack uh, from September 7, 2017, uh, where 143 million of its customers were affected by a hack. Essentially, the hackers were able to get all their data. We're talking uh, access to their financial records. We're talking access to their uh, credit card information, uh, their identities. This is the problem that's been identified with the centralized system that we work on. And what that means is that Equifax holds all of our data. They know who you are. They know your bank account. They know um, 
how much potentially how much money you have or how much you can uh, they could you know use your information to buy things. It's the reason why that they get hacked because they're holding literally all of this information in one place. Uh, ultimately, I think Equifax didn't even determine how many people got hacked or became victims until March 1st of the next year. <laughs> so you're talking September, October, November, December. I mean, I was talking six months where they even are able to identify everyone who was impacted uh, by the hack or by the hackers who, you know, infiltrated their their systems. Uh, and why, you know, why does a hacker want to infiltrate Equifax is because they have 147.9 million um, customers where all of their data is being kept. Uh, whereas with the the blockchain, because it's distributed, it just offers a, a much stronger level of protection, as I mentioned, uh, to to prevent against uh, things like that. And then in addition, it, you know, it offers you a level of privacy as well. So instead of Equifax being able to profit off of having all of this data on over a hundred and almost one hundred and fifty million people. Uh, the blockchain actually allows you to travel through the network using cryptography um, to operate on your own, where you actually not only can protect your data, but when you interact in a transaction, uh, you can only you can also only provide the data that is necessary for that transaction and can protect your identity. Whereas right now, Bank of America, for example, wants to know everything about you um, before you know, they they might provide a loan or uh, they get access to so much information uh, from you to determine if you're, you know, you're quote unquote qualified to uh, to get a loan for a house or a car or anything of that nature. And in the blockchain, you can actually only provide the information that's necessary for them to to know to to provide that loan, for example. Uh, so that's kind of what the the blockchain, or at least some of the advantages of the blockchain, and now I'll kind of get into uh, a couple of examples for we in today's show on you know why it's why it's such a revolutionary idea and what's really on the horizon to really change how we interact with one another um, because there are a lot of there's a lot of debate on what uh, blockchain and cryptocurrencies uh, can provide. In my personal opinion, I actually think it's because uh, there is a transition of power. Uh, that's the first thing I'd say you want to kind of recognize is that there's a transition of power that can happen uh, with this technology. And what I mean is if I'm an intermediary, as I talked on my banking uh, show previous to this, if I'm a big bank, you know, I don't I really don't want to see the uh, expansion of this technology to hit the everyday man's. Um, pocketbook uh, because it kind of excludes me it, it you know it, um, it 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 goes against the very profits that I make you're trying to take me out of the transaction and we're talking about uh, some of the most powerful companies uh, in the world definitely in America some of the most powerful banks um, not just you know not just banking but intermediaries people who are uh, middlemen, for example, a, a great example in the book that I mentioned earlier that I recommend anyone to read if they want to know anything about uh, blockchain uh, technology. But it gives a great example about Uber. Uh, so if you look or Uber or Air, Airbnb, but we'll use we'll use Uber. Um, 
in the transaction, when you really think about Uber or Airbnb, there's a buyer and then there's a seller. The buyer is typically someone who's either looking for a ride or they're looking for a place to rent for their stay. And on the seller side is a person providing that uh, is providing the asset for them to either, you know, get that ride or that place to stay. What Uber and Airbnb do is they are the middlemen that connect the buyer and the seller together. That's how they profit. That's how they uh, make their money. What blockchain is, what the blockchain technology is proposing, what it is offering is to completely remove potentially Airbnb and Uber altogether. Um, because really while we go through the intermediaries and the middlemen is because there are trusted third party. We rely on them to um, make this transaction happen. And what blockchain is able to do with the cryptography ability and, and developers are working on pretty much everything you can think of to duplicate uh, what we already have, uh, whether it be Airbnb, whether it be Uber, whether it be literally the stock exchange or the stock market uh, because it's an intermediary. Every time you buy a stock, uh, you pay a fee to the intermediary to be connected with the seller on the other side. Uh, you actually can go research uh, these things. If you really look at the amount of hands money has to go through and the amount of consolidating that has to go through these clearing houses when you buy a stock or a property or anything, you'd recognize like, wow, that's just a bunch of waste. And what blockchain offers is to remove that waste from the system uh, and allows you to connect directly with the seller in a way that you can trust uh, from each side, from both the seller side uh, and the buyer side. And that's why you see these huge debates. You hear, uh, at least in the past, people being very much against crypto because if they, they kind of reckon, you know, I think it's because they recognize it's a challenge to their, their power at the top of the, the pyramid scheme. Uh, and blockchain offers the ability to give power back to the people uh, and individuals. Uh, there's also another great example in the book about, you know, not needing an executive board because you can um, protect the information across the blockchain and the owners of a, a company, no matter how much part of they own, they can make decisions about how the company moves forward in an instant um, through the blockchain as a protected protocol. Uh, the best example of this, actually, I won't even say the best, the most recent example of this, actually, uh, if you've all been listening to everything about uh, Donald Trump uh, in the U.S. Postal Service and about the ability to get mail-in ballots, and if you guys know anything about our voting system, it's very old or still, if you think about it being 2020 and how uh, fast technology moves, but we still fill out our ballots on pieces of paper and put them into a machine that, that, that counts them. Um, and kind of the attack on voting rights and why this is such a big revolution. Uh, well, the U.S. Postal Service already had a new blockchain patent that's, I believe, it's like 45 pages of a bunch of diagrams. Um, but essentially what it does is, is it uses cryptography just in the same way that the Bitcoin blockchain does it uh, by, you know, utilizing a currency, uh, ultimately allowing, you know, us as Americans to vote in a secure way from our house without worrying about uh, without and because it's decentralized as I mentioned before the protection of the the blockchain um, 
you can trust it. Uh, you can trust the protocol. The ability to try and hack the blockchain it requires so much energy and so much money and almost makes it not worth it for the hacker to, to do it. Uh, and that's how powerful the technology is. So the U.S. Postal Service is like, oh, okay, we, you you want to, um, you have these complaints against mail-in voting. Well, we had this patent that we rolled back in February. I believe February 7th is what I'm reading here. That eventually will allow you to vote from your home, as I mentioned, uh, in a secure fashion. Imagine how much that changes our society. Uh, a lot of the big issues with uh, voting is people being able to make time to vote. I mean, we're gonna blockchain is going to allow the opportunity to allow you to vote from anywhere, and us be able to trust the results uh, of the voting block because of. Uh, the blockchain technology that's how revolutionary is the the amount of people who can who will be able to that would participate in the uh in, in our democracy would increase substantially um so that's that's a little bit of you know what the blockchain revolution is about a uh, bitcoin is actually a, a cryptocurrency that runs on blockchain uh the whole revolutionary piece there with Bitcoin is I kind of mentioned with the numbers and it, its market cap. Uh, actually, one of the big things, one of the big articles I saw on Forbes today as well, this this U.S. Postal story is on For Forbes as well. Uh, it's actually mentioning uh, Warren Buffett buying gold. And one of the trends is, is that young people are buying Bitcoin, older people are buying gold. Uh, if that gives you any any idea of where we potentially might be headed, uh, like I said, it right now it's still a debate uh, whether uh, Bitcoin becomes or cryptocurrencies become mass, you know, adopted by the masses. The outlook is positive, uh, but we don't know for sure one way or another. There are a lot of people uh, and companies battling over the technology. Uh, e even the naysayers uh, from the early days of Bitcoin are, are coming around. Uh, another uh, article from last week, MicroStrategy um, bought $250 million worth of Bitcoin uh, as a way to hedge against uh, some of the issues they see in the economy and add to their portfolio. That I mean, that that should tell you a lot. A, a, a Fortune 500 company is willing to spend $250 million on Bitcoin um, because they deem it as a worthy investment. Uh, it's they're concerned about the inflationary uh, consequences that will come with the printing of money and the stimulus. If you want to go look at the national debt, that's, you know, in going up every every literally every second. There's a, a site you can go to the debt.org that shows our national debt and our deficits. Time, the time is now for you to educate yourself about cryptocurrencies, about blockchain, uh, because it potentially is the the future. Now, what that future looks like is what's uh, what's being battled on uh, by companies all over the world. Great example of this. If you probably heard briefly that um, Facebook is creating their own cryptocurrency called Libra. There's a lot of information about the digital wand that the Chinese government uh, is working on. And then just as of yesterday or two days ago, the federal government in the United States is beginning to look at its own cryptocurrency by our, you know, by the Fed. I mean, if if that doesn't tell you uh, enough to 
to recognize the impact of what uh, Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies um, are going to mean, I think the, the then you gotta you gotta start to catch up uh, because I think it's it's the it's the new wave. It's it's pretty clear that companies and governments are all working to um, direct the trend of cryptocurrencies and the use of blockchain uh, in the world, and which is why you're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of different products. Right now, there it's uh, uh, there's a whole another debate which I'll do a a um, a uh, episode on uh, over uh, centralized finance and decentralized finance. Um, because there's uh, there's also a push to utilize Bitcoin technology in um, in association with the centralized themes. So, like I said, there's a lot there are a lot of battles. Uh, I'll definitely do that episode. So I'm excited about it. The other uh, piece, actually, I'll, I'll do as well uh, on this topic uh, actually revolves around, as I mentioned before, giving power back to the common man. So if there's anything that you've been able to gather from my uh, podcast is I definitely believe in self-reliance, self-accountability, uh, and take control when you can. And there are going to be some hurdles there when it comes to crypto, uh, but there's actually a great article about uh, out there that came out on August 13th uh, about, in uh, the, the headline reads, Nigerians are using Bitcoin to bypass trade hurdles uh, with China. Uh, as I mentioned, because it's decentralized, uh, no government can control it, um, whether it's the United States, whether it's China. Uh, no one can control the exchange over a decentralized network. And that's what makes it so powerful. Um, there are a number of reasons why that that matters. Uh, as I mentioned with Lebanon, the people there have no control over Governments deciding to print money and pump it into the economy, which is why the inflation has gone up, which is why their ability to live there has gone down because their money just, you know, spent on a dime. It's, you know, worth way less than it was even just a month ago. That same thing is happening in America. Now, maybe we, we might not be facing 200 percent inflation over month over month, uh, but the U.S. dollar over the last hundred years is, you know, been devalued by 98 percent. So uh, this is uh, definitely a topic worth engaging yourself, uh, finding a literature to read about it. Uh, there are a lot of uh, great uh, websites like Coindesk. Uh, I watch uh, YouTube. You can go to and I, these are free plugs, I can assure you. Um, Altcoin Daily, uh, they cover all the, the late latest news regarding uh, cryptocurrencies. Uh, BitBoy does a, a if you're looking at speculating and investing in, in uh, Bitcoin. This is all for educational purposes, by the way. Um, always consult always consult your financial advisor uh, before you make any uh, make any decisions. Uh, and the, the you know my my opinion is only for you to you know help in your research uh, to learn about this uh, new technology and in cryptocurrencies and, and blockchain. Uh, but there is a lot of a lot of resources out there for you to to get to know. Uh, but I'll definitely do a few more. There are definitely some more topics and episodes that can be done uh, here. Uh, Barack Obama actually talked about it a few years ago uh, at at uh, South by in Austin, uh, where he talked about people have the, you know it's pretty much like walking around with your own Swiss bank in your pocket, and 
if you know anything about banking, it's it can be a tremendous uh, transfer of wealth and power uh, back to individuals and from intermediaries uh, where we can conduct transactions between one another. And what that means is I can, you know, I can um, benefit from most of the wealth created in a transaction, uh, as I kind of mentioned with the um, with the example of um, Airbnb and Uber. Uh, they are just an intermediary and they take a large chunk of the uh, productivity and wealth that is generated uh, from those transactions. And blockchain will allow for more efficiency, will allow for lower prices because you don't have to maybe pay that middleman as much. Um, but that's that. There are a lot of a lot of cool topics to discuss here. Uh, but I hope you enjoyed today's show. Um, definitely reach out to me on Instagram um, at the Good Samaritan Podcast. Um, and I hope you guys enjoy your day. I hope you learned a lot about a little bit about blockchain and Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And I hope it's the, your first step into uh, learning more about crypto. Uh, I think the time is now. And if not, you'll, you'll get left behind. So don't be afraid to go out there and learn something new. But as always, no matter where you are on your financial journey, uh, always take the time to be a good Samaritan. Peace. Peace.